right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Fearcast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD and anxiety and anxiety spectrum disorders and getting your life back. I'm your host, Kevin Foss, and I'm a licensed therapist specializing in OCD and anxiety disorders. Thank you all so much for joining me today. So um, if you all are, are, are new, this is a question and answer based podcast. If you have a question for the podcast that you would like me to yammer on about, uh, you can go to fearcastpodcast.com and click on the submit, submit a question link there. Go over to Instagram as well, and you can send me a DM over there. I am Fearcast Podcast over yonder. Uh, you can also send me an audio question. I love the audio questions, as y'all have heard me talk about. And you can do such things by going over to, I think, again, I think Instagram is the easiest way. Go to Instagram, send me a DM there, click on the microphone button, record yourself in minute increments. I will edit them all together. It will sound loverly. But send it over there that way goes to the top of the list, the tippity top of the list. Uh, you can also send me the auto question via, uh, I guess you can send, I, I've mentioned before, I'm going to say it again though. Send me the audio, record it yourself, send it to Q, questions at fearcastpodcast.com or send me the shared link or a link to the shared drive uh, at wherever it is. However you want to get me the audio, I will be happy to have. Anyways, y'all have heard me say that. I hope I'm just... I hope I'm reasonably redundant and not boringly or annoyingly those words. Anyways, uh, I hope everybody is doing well. Um, we're, we're getting closer into the holidays and recording this. I think today is the second day of Hanukkah for all y'all who are celebrating. Um, but, uh, man, the, the holiday time, December is such a weird time. Things start slowing down while they equally accelerate and go faster and they are simpler yet more complicated all to say it's december for me has always been this weird place this weird feeling it's a feeling that i get um and i know feel is a four-letter f word around here but it's it's this weird feeling that i get and it's this like it throws me back in time specifically if i drive at night and, and it's like specifically driving at night with the Christmas lights around or if it's at night, especially if it's then like raining, I get flashbacks to like as a, you know, as a teenager driving to the mall to like shop for people um, for whatever reason. Um, I'm going to blame my mom on this one. So, mom, if you're listening, thanks. And uh, you passed this one on. Um, shopping is the thing that I enjoy doing. And I, I like I like I like bargain shopping. So here was my strategy for shopping. Uh, this is when malls were a thing. This is before Amazon or the internet shopping. And internet shopping for me has just gotten so much worse and you hear why. So I go to the mall, the biggest mall in the area. I start at one store. I have an idea of what I want. I find it in a store that I, that I, and I go, okay, it costs X amount of money. And then I proceed to go into pretty much every store up and down the mall and compare the price for all of it. And then once I do, now I decide, now I, I, I make a decision and I move forward with it execute the plan internet shopping has gotten worse because now i can do that in a thousand stores <gasps> and i can find the best price and the best version of it so for the person that i'm shopping for for my family's secret santa um just know i delight in spending way too much time searching way too many things. Um, so anyways, this is, it's, it's my excitement. It's where I get to put my mental energy in, in looking for just the right thing in comparison and contrasting. Oh my gosh, it's so much fun. And that 
is the difference between an egocentric behavior and an egodystonic behavior. I love that. I don't feel obligated to do it. It's a delight. It's fun. If it was an obligation that I have to, it is a requirement for me to get the perfect thing or the, at the perfect price or whatever it might be, then it would be a problem. But I, I, I enjoy it. So I'm going to continue to do it until I don't. Uh, and at some point, it does become bothersome. And I just go, to heck with it. I'm buying a thing. Thing. And it just it turns into a thing. And I'm done with the thing. Anyways, let's move on with this, this thing. So we are... So I, I, have a, I have a question for the podcast today, as per usual. Well, yeah, as per usual. Um, today is it, today's a bit of a complicated question, and, you, and you'll hear why. It's, and it's complicated only in the sense that it has to do with suicide. So if this is a triggering thing for you, just take note of it. But again, what, what we're here about is taking on anxiety and, and leaning into it and saying, I can have these thoughts. So if this is an uncomfortable thing and you're not ready for it, I understand. If it, if you're ready for it, let's lean into it. But it's not just that. We're not just only talking about that. It's going to be a whole bunch of other things. Anyways, this question for today comes from Grace. I suppose I should say, here we go. We're going to get another question. This comes from Grace. So, Grace says, I understand that not seeking reassurance is one aspect of treating religious OCD. See, you thought it was going to be about uh, just uh, uh, suicide or suicidal ideation. No, it's about treating religious OCD. Tricked you. All right. Um, not seeking reassurance is one aspect of treating religious OCD. However, I know that without guidance and support from a pastor or Christian mentor, etc., I feel very suicidal. See, there it is. You knew it was coming. All right. Talking about treating religious OCD is extremely scary for me because part of treatment, and they say in parentheses, not having reassurance, they go on to say, causes me to be suicidal. How can someone with religious OCD be treated safely and with a method that will not put them in a frame of mind where their life is at risk. So, Grace, thank you so much for this question. So, treating religious OCD is, it, it can be tricky, but it is, it's something that I have, I have a particular heart for, particular interest in. So, while I, I've talked about this before, while I come from a Christian background, which is not why I'm putting this one up here, um, I, I, while I come from a Christian background, my goal for anybody who I work with of any faith background or not faith background, um, if they are desiring to have a faith life, I want to put them on the best path for their faith life as best as possible. And I know it can be a wonderful thing, uh, spirituality, religion, and it can also be a terrible thing when it is hijacked by anxiety or tw and twisted around by OCD. So, um, so I have a particular interest in this, and uh, Grace, thank you so much for sending this in. So this question is it, it? It has a lot of facets to it, and Grace, I, I can imagine the idea of moving forward with treatment is super scary. Especially, it, it sounds like I'm going to read into this and say you've sought treatment and suicidal ideation has popped. Up. Now, first off, if you are genuinely having suicidal thoughts, I, I, and to anybody out there, I would encourage you, go to the nearest emergency room, 
call a therapist, go to, uh, go to a hospital, talk about these things, get the help and the care that you need. Um, I, I mentioned at the end of every show that um, if you need a little bit of help in your recovery, go over to fearcastpodcast.com and there's a button that's find help. I have some links there that can be helpful for anybody who is struggling. And, I, and Grace, I would encourage you to follow through on some of that if you are in fact struggling with this. However, I, I'm also going to read into this that you're in a state, Grace, where you, you want to do treatment. However, you also don't want to have these suicidal thoughts. So for some, and maybe Grace, you're this, that you're saying, I, I'm, I'm going to kind of hold, hold in place and kind of white knuckle this because while I want to get better, boy, I don't want, I don't want to have those thoughts. So, in order to not have those thoughts, I have to have these thoughts. And you're in this stuck place, and it feels like there's no really good way. So, so Grace, I, I'm, I'm going to try to do my best to offer some encouragement in, in today's um, episode. Hopefully, this, hopefully, you hear it. Hopefully, it, it points you in a direction that you can feel confident in moving forward. Not certain but confident that you can find some therapist, find some way to work through your religious OCD so you can have, so you can have the life worth living and have a faith worth living too. And, and, and I'll tell you, that's one of the things that bugs me the most about what religious, uh, what religious OCD does, what OCD does to one's spirituality. It makes their faith life not worth living. And it's a disaster, so, so I'm going to do my best, and 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 I'll say this at the front end, Grace. If you have questions or comments or follow ups, send me a message again over at Fearcast Podcast, or send me a message over at Instagram, and um, I'll be happy to add those or get back to you on that or try to point you in the best direction. So. Also, I should say as well, n- none of this that we're talking about here is in fact therapy. This is conversation about therapy. So it's it, podcasts are weird things, everybody. Um, it, it's a weird thing to say, all right, we're going to talk about therapy stuff, but this isn't therapy. As I say at the end of the, the show, it's not substitute for psychotherapy. It's kind of, it's information that hopefully can point you in the right direction, kind of give you a mindset about talking about this with your therapist or with friends or with people who care about you to kind of wrap your head around a way to orient your, your progress or orient what you do in a healthier direction. All right. Maybe I've put too many caveats on this, but I hope it makes sense. All right, here we go. We're going to just buckle down. So, um, as a primer, religious OCD, also also known as religious scrupulosity, or just oftentimes scrupulosity, um, or however people want to pronounce it, scrupulosity gets gets butchered in any number of ways. But either way, um, I'm probably butchering it for somebody. Kevin doesn't know how to pronounce that word. He's ridiculous. I assume is what people are saying. Um, it is it is OCD that that the theme has latched onto one's spiritual life. Now, we've talked about um, moral scrupulosity. Um, and the thing about scrupulosity, you're being scrupulous. You're being very specific, and you're pulling things apart, and you're trying to be exacting about one's faith. I know I've talked about in the past, religious OCD can sometimes be thought of as relationship OCD with God, it, or relationship OCD with your higher power, or with your spirituality. So, 
it's uh, it, it again at the end of the day it is OCD but the theme is about one's spirituality we still treat it in the same way using cognitive behavioral therapy exposure and response prevention and mindfulness based approaches now there are of course different approaches that we've talked about in the past that can be helpful however i'm going to approach it from this perspective at least thus far we'll see if i throw anything else in there it's very possible i do that okay so as we're moving through this grace um whenever i work with someone with, with scroop I do want to incorporate their faith into the treatment. So just from a, a OCD perspective, when I'm working with it, I want, I want to incorporate someone's faith. Even if I'm, even if I'm working with someone who is an identified Christian, let's say, let's say they are, you know, let's say they're Protestant, which I am. Let's say that they are closer to a denomination that I happen to be going to. The denomination system is ridiculous, but that's a separate conversation. Anyways, even if, I think I have an idea about where they're coming from. I, I there's a thousand, a bajillion different ways to practice Christianity. Now I'm, I'm picking on Christianity again today because that's what Grace's question is. But this would be a conversation we'd still have if someone was uh, a Jewish or Muslim or any other religion that happens to be out there. So, but we're picking on Christianity because Grace asked about it. Okie dokie. So when so I'm, I want to incorporate someone's faith in that. A really, really good way to do that is to also rope in somebody's pastor or someone's, um, a, 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 as you said, Christian mentor, someone who you trust who under, and who can understand both the faith, who cares about you, and who understands what OCD is. So often, I hear people will say, man, I went to my pastor to talk about these obsessions, and you know what? They told me I need to pray more. Or they told me I need to be in the Word more, so I can tr I can um, I can strengthen my faith, or I need to or the the this doubt that someone is experiencing is a result of um, faulty or lacking or whatever faith. So they need to square that up and strengthen that, and that is preposterous. I, the, the folks that I've worked with who have religious OCD. Uh, ha generally speaking, have incredibly strong faith. And that is one of the reasons why OCD has latched onto it. So anyways, back to it. Part of treatment is I do want to rope someone in who is, who understands, um, who understands the, the faith and understands OCD. Now, when we're working with, with this, we're going to try to figure out what are some, one, what are the obsessions about? What is the fear related to? And oftentimes they can be, you know, a worry that you have committed some, some type of sin, you've committed some blasphemy, that there is a lack of faith or not enough faith or not the right kind of faith. Maybe there's the, maybe there are these intrusive thoughts of sexuality or violence or blaspheme or something that feels like it's a, causing a wedge between you and God or you and your faith. Um, and that can all be terrifying. It can feel like it's undermining the uh, uh, security of one's faith. So compulsions come in to try to eliminate the doubt, secure faith, and to ensure that one's relationship with God is square and is good, right? But what we find is the more compulsions that somebody does, the less connected they feel, the less... Um, the more struggle they have, and the, and it feels like it widens that chasm between you and God, or you and the right kind of faith. And that's where OCD can feel like it gets 
problematic. I mean, so, Grace, you are right that in treating religious scrupulosity, any other type of OCD, we want to re- pull back on reassurances. However, there are, there are some reassurances or assurances or however you want to call them that are going to happen earlier on in treatment. And oftentimes when I'm treating um, religious scrupulosity, um, that there, there's going to be, as, um, as Alec Pollard talks about, um, if you've ever seen him give a talk, and next time you go to the IOCDF conference, please, everybody out there, everyone out there, go see his talk on um, religious scrupulosity. He's often on, the, on, on a, um, a religious group panel. And um, he's one, hilarious, and two, very knowledgeable. So, but one of the things he talks about is that he says there's going to be, in in CBT, there's going to be a lot more on the front, like cognitive on the front end before you get into the behavioral. There's going to be a lot more um, conversation, a lot more discussion about faith and about what it means to you and about the impact of it and how you relate to it, your history with it, all of that. A lot of all that is going to be more on the front end before exposures than the average treatment. And a lot of times we want to rush into exposures because we see uh, we see videos or we, we listen to podcasts or and we, we, we know that exposures are important to recover from OCD. However, it can it can it can sometimes be less helpful to just rush into exposures with religious group, I think, and I'm, I, I think um, certainly Paul would agree with this, but I'm sure there are other people who would disagree with me because faith is so central to somebody. You know, if, uh, all right. I'm bad. I'm, I'm, I'm now in my head. I'm going, Oh my gosh, someone's going to hear this and go, Kevin thinks that religious group is so much more different and important. And then all these other things, they aren't important or central to people's lives. Like their like their relationship or whatever. Uh, okay. I'm going to talk myself out of it. If you guys, whatever. All right. So one's faith is very important and there can be a lot of resistance to then going along with treatment unless one's faith feels, one someone feels heard, understood, seen, and cared for that I, that I, the therapist show that I care about your faith and you having the right, or not the right kind of faith, having a healthy faith uh, moving forward in this. Um, the fear that a lot of people have is they're going to go see a therapist and they're going to say, you need to abandon the faith. That's what's going to fix you. Or they're going to try to undermine you or, or ask you to do things that are blatantly blasphemous. And that does not fit into a spiritually sensitive method of treatment for OCD. So to your, to your question or to your comment about treatment for OCD seems scary because of the lack of reassurances. I, I would love to know what you think about that or what, what you mean by that, but we're, we're going to be talking a lot about your faith and how it's working and how it's not working, what you're wanting out of your faith, where, where, things, where things are not working for you, and maybe, and sometimes, that can be due to a misunderstanding of a passage or a concept or a doctrine. It can sometimes be a mismatch of different religious backgrounds. I've worked with folks who they kind of hold themselves to to uh, uh, the standard of different and sometimes conflicting um, kind of religious backgrounds. So sometimes in like a basic example would be, um, you know, Catholic and Protestant, right? Both Christian, but they can have different emphases on different things. And if, 
the 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 we, we need to be playing by the same rules essentially kind of within the system of each faith there is and this is again i'm stealing this from alec pollard um, i would love to have him on if you know alec pollard and and uh you want to just put a little worm in his ear that uh, he should be on the podcast you, you should do that i would i would think that would be awesome um but he says the that that not everyone in every faith is scrupulous so other people are finding a way to do it. So there's, there is, and he'll say that there's for every, every faith, there is a way out. I don't think he said it like that, but there's, there's an out. If there is a sin, there is an atonement process. Sometimes though, that faith process is not, that, that kind of organized way of doing it is not followed or adhered to or done in the way that it is intended. And that's where we want to talk about what's not working, where is the doubt coming in? And and all of that can sound very reassuring, um, maybe from a classical perspective, but it's also looking at what are the rules in which your faith, that you are living within your faith. So, um, and within that then grace for you, I want to know what you mean by suicidal. Sometimes, sometimes people, people mean, people have suicidal thoughts when they feel hopeless, when they feel scared, sometimes when the anxiety shows up, boom, your brain goes, well, you know what you should do? Mm, you should do this. And that can feel frightening, as if to say that, that it means that you're suicidal because we're having these thoughts. Now, again, I, you're not in the room, so I can't evaluate your level of suicidal thoughts or what the quality of them is or how seriously you take them. But sometimes our awful brains will say, oh, you're having a really hard time. Oh, well, let's go into problem solving mode. So you're stressed, you're, you're having a difficult time, you're anxious. Well, here are some things that we can do to fix that. Well, we could go for a run, we could, um, uh, we could take a nap, we could uh, maybe have, uh, have some ice cream, that'll kind of feel better. We could uh, talk to a friend or talk to a therapist, uh, we could take medicine, we could kill ourselves, we could go for a swim, we could, and, and it kind of goes through these kind of uh, uh, plans of different ways that we could alleviate the feeling of stress or anxiety or discomfort. And suicide sometimes shows up as one of those thoughts. Now, again, what we're trying to do is to make space for and acknowledge that sometimes we're going to get thoughts that are really, really scary. And those thoughts need to be taken seriously. So, this is where I would encourage you, Grace, or anybody else who has these thoughts, bring them up with a therapist. I know a big fear that people have with with bringing up suicidal thoughts is they go, well, I'm going to talk to my therapist. They're going to immediately throw me into a hospital. Well, that's not always the case. So, and sometimes it's to ensure safety, to ensure your safety. I, I've made this joke before. Um, my, my job is to help you uh, get back to a life worth living, and it's a lot easier to do that when you're still alive. So I want to help you continue to live so that you can get over this, this stress, this, this anxiety, this obsession to have that life worth living. Okay, so your brain going back to, going back to this idea that your brain is just problem solving. Maybe it is. 
So maybe we can say, hey, brain, I know you're looking out for me. I know you're thinking, man, Grace is stressed out. Grace hates this stuff. How do we get, how do we get rid of this pain so we can get back to a better place? You know, I'm, I'm going to make this recommendation. We can say, look, brain, it's not my interest. It's not my value. It's not what I want. And Grace, it's not what you want. You've told me. So can we make space for it and address that? Can we address the various can we address what you're doing to connect with people, to deal with that thought? Anyways, that, that's a whole separate conversation that is going to be useless for me to have at this point because I, don't, I, I can't assess. Um, and that's also not the point of it. That's something to talk about with your therapist as you're going through this. Now, any really good sensitive therapist is going to take both of these things into account, your religion, your spirituality, and these thoughts. Bring these up as early as you can in an assessment with a therapist. Say, here is my hiccup. Here is why I'm afraid to do this. And they're going to say, okay, thank you for sharing. And we're going to be, we're going to take, we're going to be cautious through this. We're going to be aware of when those thoughts show up and we're going to address those when they arise. And we're going to talk about those. So instead of saying we can't do treatment because these thoughts are going to show up, we're going to say we're going to do treatment and we're going to also note when these thoughts arise. And we're going to say when we're going to kind of sit with and observe what that what brought that feeling up, what brought that stress up, what brought that thought around that and how seriously are you taking it? Are you saying, yes, I absolutely need to do this right now? Or are you saying this thought popped up into mind? Right, and that might help guide what it is that you do subsequently to in, in treatment. So, how can someone with religious OCD be treated safely and with a method that will not put them in a frame of mind where their life is at risk? Well, number one, a ton of communication and self awareness of when this thought arises. When this thought arises, you're going to share it with your therapist, and they're going to they're going to be sensitive. Hopefully, they're going to be sensitive um, in in the process and and respectful of the thought and respectful of faith while pausing as necessary to address it and to keep moving forward. So, but you also said, how am I going to do this without getting into this frame of mind where your life is at risk? Okay. What if in treatment you say, I expect that I'm going to have these thoughts. I don't want them. I don't want to follow through with them. In fact, it's the last thing that I want to do. But I also know that that thought is going to arise. So if we can say this is an expectation and not a surprise and not something that you're, you're, you're desiring to do, we can almost treat it as a phenomenon. Oh, it's, maybe, that, maybe that's the wrong way to say it. But we can say, I expect it's going to happen. So often we, we talk about like, all right, I want, to, I, want to, I want to be able to just give a talk or I want to be able to like, I want to be able to ask someone out on a date, but I don't want to feel nervous to do it. I want to be able to just drive to work and not be anxious by the drive. I want to be able to shake hands with someone in a business meeting and not be completely overwhelmed by thoughts that, that they have, that I now have some contaminant on my hand or I'm going to make them sick, right? In an ideal world, we could snap our fingers and you wouldn't have that. However, what if we were to treat that as something that you and I can anticipate? 
we know that I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way. I'm gonna. I'm planning on going to Disneyland tomorrow. I know that when I go, I'm going to be. I'm. I'm inevitably going to be annoyed by the way that Disneyland is now structured in its uh, line system and its all sorts of stuff. I know I'm going to see something uh, that somebody's doing that is going to be preposterous. That's going to be annoying to me. I know I'm going to be tired. And I'm not going to want to, and, and I'm, I, I know I'm going to get crabby with everybody around me because that's kind of what happens. And I need to just, that's something that I need to deal with. But there are these expectations. I know that these things are going to happen and I'm going to go and do those things anyways. I've talked about before, whenever I give a talk at a conference, I know I'm going to have a worry that it's going to completely destroy my, my career, completely destroy my reputation. I'm going to say something and do something that's just completely awful and backwards and, and I'm going to be um, run out of town or tarred and feathered or whatever it might be. I know that that thought's going to be there. And yet, I continue to do it. Not because, I, not because I want those things to happen, not because I say those things are good, but because I say to myself, that's my brain going into left field. That's my brain maybe saying, here's the worst thing that could happen. So think about that, Kevin. Consider that. Maybe, maybe be cautious or, 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 or worry about this so that you make sure that this doesn't happen because, gosh, wouldn't this be awful if this were to happen? Yes, it would be awful if that were to happen. However, it's exceedingly unlikely. It is, I can't say never, right? But I can say it's really unlikely to happen. It's never happened in the past before. It's never even gotten close. So why would I think that this time would be different? Same thing here, Grace. I wonder if it can be said, this is a thought that I'm having. I know it's going to be there and I can point it out when it arises, but that's not me. That's my thought. Thanks, brain, for the thought. However, I'm going to continue to do treatment, not this thing that you suggested. So thanks, bro. However, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to redirect over here, redirect my focus and my efforts and my energies this way. So and this is one way to think about it, Grace. If you were in my office and we we're talking about it, we might have a different strategy. And it, it, it would obviously depend on your genuine level of suicidal thought and consideration. But we can sometimes treat those thoughts in that way rather than saying, rather than saying, well, I, because I have this thought, I know that this is not for me. I, because I have this thought, I know treatment is not for me and I'm there, therefore never going to get better. It leads to hopelessness or resentment and depression and n nothing fun. So... So I want to offer that, this, this sort of way, and I've meandered around and I'm sure there are lots of other things I might say. In fact, whenever I have this conversation, I tend to then talk for a couple more minutes about different things that you can do, which actually I'm going to do right now. Another way that I like to think about treating religious OCD is instead of doing weird things, instead of doing off the wall things for treating religious OCD, you know what I actually want you to do? I actually just want you to, in your case, do Christian stuff. I want you to be reading the Bible, going to church, going to groups. I want you to be praying. Now, we don't want you to be doing those things in compulsive ways, excessive ways, things that are outside of what the average person would do or things that are outside of what you would want to be doing or you in your ideal faith life would be doing. 
What OCD does is it, is it takes our faith and turns it into something that is outside of what the average person would do. And that's where the compulsions, that's partially compulsion or it's avoidance. So instead, we're going to say, I'm going to do the thing that I want to do. And it may be, you know, praying every day. Great. We're going to pray, though, in a non-compulsive fashion. We're going to pray in a way that's consistent with the, the, the vast majority. As, as uh, Ted Whitsick says, 85% uh, of the people in your church group would do it. You're going to read the Bible in the way that the average person would do it. You're going to read, you're, you're going to go to church in the average way, right? With, you know, error bars in there and, and you know, flexibility and all that stuff as well. But being consistent with that. And with that means when there is an infraction or a step or a mistake or a sin, you're going to do the things that the average person would do, not what OCD says you have to do, but what does your faith say you have to do? And what does your faith say about God in that process? Does God know you? Does God love you? Does God know, um, does God know your intentions behind things? If that's the case, Trust that God knows those things rather than trusting what OCD says, which is I need to be the person in charge. I need to ensure my salvation. I need to ensure that God knows my intentions. If we're trusting, if we believe that God actually does know your intentions and, and, and who you truly are, then we're trusting that God knows your intentions. It's the obsessive doubt that pops in that says God doesn't know. Somehow we're pulling a fast one on God. Somehow God doesn't know you truly. And that thought that you had, ooh, he's going to think that one's the real thought. Mm -mm. That's a thought from OCD. Push that one to the side. We're going to say, I'm trusting myself and trusting what I believe to be true. And historically, I believe to be true. Even though there's that doubt, I'm going to trust and move forward in that fashion. And that's easier said than done. I fully recognize that. And there's a plan to be able to build or the plan that you can do to build with your therapist on how to do that. But Grace, that is one way that you could go about treating your OCD in a safe way. With, uh, not only, not, but not, not having those thoughts, maybe having those thoughts too, but being thoughtful, mindful, and in, in anticipation of those thoughts as you move forward in treatment. So I really encourage you or anybody else out there that if you're struggling with this, and if this is kind of the, the crux that you're in, talk to your therapist, talk to a therapist about this, and try to find someone who feels like they care about you, care about your mental health and care about your religious and spiritual health because all of that is vital because all of that is you and that's what we're working toward so i know it's a lot to think about i i, I know that's very quick to go over but hopefully it all makes sense so grace i'll leave it here so a slide in that uh, that, that uh, the music here thank you all everybody so much for joining me today Hopefully this has been helpful. Hopefully I didn't meander too much in my answer. If you wanted to add something, if you felt I missed something, feel free to send me a message over at fearcastpodcast.com or, or over at Instagram. Um, and uh, please remember, everybody, again, this is not substitute. The Fearcast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you need help, a little bit of guidance, go over to Fearcast Podcast, click on the Find Help link, and there'll be some links for you there that'll point you in the right direction. So... Until next time, everybody, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.